Well, good morning, everyone. Beautiful day out there. Beautiful. And um, it's beautiful to be here worshiping with you guys on a Sunday. Um, we're going to do uh, change something up a little bit here. I'm going to read in three different places. So I want you to turn, first of all, to Luke 17 and put your finger there. And once you get there, I want you to journey towards the left and go to Genesis chapter 19. So Luke 17, our address will be verse 20. But then, once you put your finger there, I want you to go to Genesis chapter 19. Our address will be verse 12 there. And if you're real talented, Revelations chapter 2. But we, we'll, we'll take on that once we get there. We will be doing a little bit of reading today. So um, I, I was listening to the announcements and, uh, you know, it's a funny... Uh, um, Memory verse, remember Lot's wife. I mean, what do you know of the gal, you know? <laughs> but remember, remember what? Just remember her. No, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. And, uh, and it all full Pray for me today, okay? Just pray while I'm teaching. Pray for yourself because you're listening. Um, 19, verse 12. And it says, the men said unto Lot... These are angels that came to warn Lot and his family to get out of Sodom and Gomorrah. The men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides sons-in-laws and thy sons and thy daughters? Whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place. For we will destroy this place, because of the cry of them is, is waxen great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. That is, destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot went out, and he spake unto his son, sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, get, uh, get up out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. They just thought he was out of his mind. And when the morning arose, the angels hastened Lot and said, Arise, take thy wife and your two daughters, which are here, Lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon the hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of the two daughters. And the Lord, being merciful unto them, they, they brought him forth and set him without the city. And it came to pass that when they had brought them forth abroad, he said, Escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in this place. In the plain, escape, escape to the mountains, lest thou be consumed. Then Lot said unto them, O oh, not so, my Lord, behold, now thy servant has found grace uh, in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life. I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me, and I die. Behold, now this city that's near to, the, uh, to flee unto, and it is a little one. A little one. Oh, let me escape hither or thither. Is, is it not the little one? O oh, my soul shall live. He said unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing, that I will not overthrow the city for that which thou hast spoken. Haste thee, escape hither, for I cannot do anything until thou hast come hither, until thou hast left. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. 
The sun was risen the earth when, um, upon the earth when Lot entered into Zoar. The Lord rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone of fire from the Lord out of heaven. He overthrew those cities and all the plains and all the inhabitants of the city, that which grew upon the ground. But his wife looked back from behind him and said, and said, Would you be kind enough to go in my office and shut that off? <laughs> Talk about distractions. Uh, that's a, a, to a radio. Anyway, um, Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt. My goodness, I just lost my place. Oh, his wife looked back from behind him. Verse 26. And she became a pillar of salt. Now turn with me to Revelations chapter 2. Revelations chapter 2. Beginning with verse 1. Now unto the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know your works, I know your labor, I know your patience, and how thou canst bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and they are not, and hast found them liars. You have borne and you have had patience for my name's sake, has labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. Do the first work, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove the candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Now turn back to Luke chapter 17. Beginning with verse 20. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, Lo, here or lo, there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. He said unto his disciples, The days will come when... You shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you shall not see it. They shall say unto you, See here and see there, go not after them, nor follow them. For as the lightning that lighteth out of the one part under heaven shineth unto another part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. But first... Uh, but, uh, but first must suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. As it is written, in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. For they did eat, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat and they drank and they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But the same day that Lot went out of, the, out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone upon heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the days when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day he shall say, he that uh, shall stay upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And 
he that is in the field, let him likewise not return. And then verse 32, remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek his life shall lose it. Whosoever lose his life shall preserve it. Let's stand with word in hand and pray together. Wow, Lord, just thank you for your word. And just that one little verse, remember Lot's wife. It's, it is as if they looked at, the, looked at you and understood completely what you were getting at. But for us here today, I pray for those hearts of understanding. I pray that you would help us through your Holy Spirit really understand what you were trying to convey to the disciples at that moment. Because I think, God, if you were standing here with us right now, visibly, and just said, you would say, just remember Lot's wife. Lord, thank you for your word. And I pray, Father, for us today that it will be powerful, sharper than a double-edged sword. And, Father, that your word, again, would not ever return void. We love you, Lord, and we just pray for that anointing upon your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said together, life and the ministry of the Lord. And doing our best to do it in chronological order. And uh, we come to this section in Luke chapter 17. And he says to them there... In verse 20, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, the new King James renders, nor will they say, see here, see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Now that phrase, kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven, is used quite often by the Lord. And the best way to try to... um, to describe it is the sphere in which God is, is, is moving or working. For them, the kingdom of God was among them because Jesus was standing there with them in, in their presence and God was doing something glorious. And the kingdom of God, heaven is with us. The kingdom of God is with us. And as I alluded to in our opening prayer, that wherever two or three are gathered, the Lord himself would be walking in the midst. We've got that glorious promise that he wants to do something in our lives. Not just every now and then, but he wants to do it constantly. Every moment of our lives, he wants to be involved. And that would be God working in that sphere of his glory. And just that's what that word means. So when he says to them that the kingdom of God was with them, but it's not not with observation. What he was saying to them, it's not the way you think. You know, that the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. And they were asking for that often. When will the kingdom come? Um, You know, just to give you their mindset, every Hebrew of that day was expecting something. They were expecting the Lord to come. They knew the Messiah was going to come. Um, But what they were expecting, um, a Messiah, a political Messiah, a militant Messiah, someone who will come and remove the Roman yoke off their shoulders, remove the Roman tyranny away, and set up some physical kingdom. That's what they were looking for. They were looking for a physical uh, freedom. And um, what Jesus was saying to them here in those, two, those verses there, verses 20 and 21, that the kingdom of God is, 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 is not coming in observation. It's not coming the way they were thinking. Um, again, if you remember the dialogue between Nicodemus and John the Baptist in 
pardon me, not John the Baptist, it was Nicodemus and Jesus in John chapter 3, um, he wanted to know how to have eternal life. And what Jesus said to him was, unless you're born again, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. And that message rings out even this morning, doesn't it? If you're not born again, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. Presently, you're not going to be involved with what God is going to do. And ultimately, the eternal, you'll have no part of that kingdom unless one is born again. Now, he said that to a religious person, too, by the way. What they didn't realize, that that very kingdom that they were longing for, not the physical one, but the spiritual one, was standing right in front of them. And what Jesus was saying for them right then and there, that the kingdom of God was an eternal issue. It was a heart issue. And again, I'll say this probably maybe too many times. But again, remember Lot's wife. Because that's the whole premise of this teaching. Just remember that gal, whoever she was. Just remember. But the kingdom of God was standing right before them. And then in verse 22, he just redirects his attention and he says to his disciples that the days are going to come when you will, when you will desire to see one, uh, one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. In other words, the time is coming when you're going to long to see the Son of Man return. But for them, they're not going to see it. I mean, literally, they're not going to see it. They're not going to see the, se- uh, the seventh chapter of Daniel They're not going to see the times, times and a half, the days of Jacob's trouble. They're not going to see that time of judgment upon the earth. They're all going to be martyred except for one, and that would be John. And so, um, if you remember that when Jesus was resurrected and he spent time on the earth, and right at his ascension, he began to ascend, and they're watching Jesus kind of lift off, blast off, as it were. If you remember the conversation between the disciples who were was watching that event, and then the dialogue, the angel said something like this, you men of Galilee, why do you gaze up into heaven? This same Jesus, as you see him coming out, he is going to come back in like manner. Again, that's something that they will not see. Now, see, there's a lot of people mistake the coming of Christ Um, they think the rapture is the second coming. That's not the second coming. When Jesus comes back for his church, he's only going to go so far into what the Bible calls the first heaven, like the atmosphere. Then it tells us that the dead in Christ that are dead, they're born again, they will be caught, they will be resurrected first, and then we, the church, the ecclesia, that are alive and remain on the face of the earth, they will then be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. But Jesus does not come down and put put a foot on, on earth. The second coming of Christ, literally, and they will not see it. They will all die a martyr's death except for one. When he comes back, it tells us his foot will touch the Mount of Olives. He will touch down. And it tells us that there's going to be an earthquake. The east will split from the west. I believe the, dead, the, the Mediterranean Sea will flow into the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea will then spring forth with life again. And everybody's going to know that that took place. Not, they're not going to be guessing it. Paul even tells, you know, well, let me say this, that the early church expected Jesus to come back during their time period, their day and age. In fact, Paul the Apostle in Corinthians told the young men, hey, don't bother getting married because the Lord's coming back. Just get, you know, just serve the Lord. Well, the church would have died out if the guys didn't get married, right? And so there was, but there was an expectation. There was an expectation then And there should be an expectation even among ourselves that the days in which we live 
could this be the generation that sees the interruption of life as we know life? Could this be the generation? I'll touch on that in, in just a second. But what they're going to have to endure before their mark is heavy persecution. And no wonder the early church thought the Lord was, was going to come back with the persecution that was happening between the Neros and such. But in verse 23, follow along with me, it says that they will say to you, look here and look there. Do not go after them or follow them. You know, in other words, the people are going to say the the cults, the false prophets, hey, we found Christ. He's in the desert. Don't believe that nonsense is what he's saying. And in fact, I would say today, there are people even today that are trying to predict the very day that Jesus might come back. And we know a few folks there who predicted uh, back in October, I believe, of 94, and it, it, it almost happens every year, somebody's predicting the time that Christ will come back for his church. Well, the Bible tells us no man knows the hour, not even the Son of Man, only the Father himself in heaven will knows when exactly the rapture is going to take place. The second coming, however, you still with me, folks? I see a lot of puzzled looks out there. The second coming, however, if we study Daniel, we'll know exactly the very day. When we see the abominations of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel, when we see that, we can count 1,280 days, and we know the Son of Man is coming back. We know without it. So for, for Jesus, no man knows he's talking about the rapture of the church and us being ushered into the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, that's a lot of eschatology there, folks. But even if you hear this over and over and over... And then some, can I be real? Some quack comes along and says, you know what? The Lord, God told me that Jesus is coming back January the 8th, my birthday. I would welcome that if he decided to rapture the church. But anyway, he said, don't believe him. Oh, we've seen him in the desert. Well, I don't know who they're seeing in the desert, but it's not Jesus. That is an end-time prophecy. What's that mean? That in the last days, there are going to be a lot of false prophets. There's going to be a lot of false teachers. I'll read that to you in a a second there. But what he's saying is, don't buy into it. Even if they say, look, it's it's without, you know, conversation. In other words, you're looking for something, and when when it comes to happen, it's not going to be the way you thought. That's what Jesus is trying. He says, listen, don't listen to their nonsense. He goes, it's going to be like this. Verse 24. As the lightning flashes out of one part under heaven, shines to another part under heaven, that's the way it's going to be when the Son of Man comes in his day. In other words, when he comes back, there's no second guessing. Was that really him? No, just like lightning. When lightning flashes, there's no second guessing, is it? Oh, man, did you see that? That was a bad bolt of lightning right there. That's the way the coming of Christ is going to be. There's not going to be any confusion. Confusing. I'm glad he too said too, lightning, because lightning is a very powerful thing. When Jesus does come back, folks, I'm talking second coming, not the rapture of the church. When he does come back, the world is going to be shaken to its core. There will be no second guessing at all. In fact, Revelations chapter 1 Verse 7, it says, Behold, his co- he's coming with clouds. Every eye shall see him, even they who pierced him. All the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. There's, again, no second guessing. 
In fact, in Matthew chapter 24, when he was going through that whole discourse back then, hey, what's going to be the sign? How will we know when you're coming back? What's going to be the... He says, look, and you're not going to, doubt. You're not going to have uh, doubt. You're not going to be confused. He says, when you see the sun go out and the moon stops shining, when you see the earth breaking forth and it's wobbling back and forth, when you see weather upheaval, when you see that, you know it's time. And then again, it's a no-brainer. You don't need a theological degree. You don't need all the books that everybody's proclaiming you need to read. Read your Bible. The rapture, no one knows. Not you, not myself, not, uh, no one. Second coming, they will know. They'll be able to actually count to the very day when Jesus will touch the Mount of Olives where it will split from the east to the west. They'll be able to count off the days. And I think that's very important for you. Again, why? Because the church is going to embrace some false teaching in the last days. I'll read that to you in just in, in a second. And so he says, but before all that happens in verse 25, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Look, Jesus said that that generation was wicked. It was adulterous. It was always seeking for signs. It was looking for um, was looking for um, self-gratification. They wanted Rome to leave and all. He goes, that's not the way it's going to be. He's going to suffer many things and be rejected from this, um, from, the, from that generation. But he challenges them with an urgency. He does. And the way he challenges them with this urgency about the second, he uses Noah and he uses Sodom and Gomorrah. He uses Lot. And uh, the point that he'll make as we go through this, look for the suddenness, you know, if that's a word, how, how sudden it will be. Like, in other words, just bam, it's going to come upon them that quickly. Look at verse um, 26. He says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall uh, will be also in the days of the Son of Man. Now, Look, they ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until, Noah, uh, until the day that Noah was entered into the ark and the flood came, it destroyed them. He's not saying that eating and, and marrying and, and, and having a banquet is wrong. He goes, no, that's just normal life stuff. You know, that, that it's going to be just like in the days of Noah. Noah had preached for about 120 years while, he's, while he was building um, the ark. And the idea there is... He, uh, that, that when the time of judgment came, he went into the ark, the door was shut, and then that was it. We are told in our eschatology, when we study that subject, the return of Christ, that people who did not go in the rapture of the church, possibly they might be able to get through the seven years of tribulation and be able to enter into the kingdom age based upon not receiving the mark of the beast or maybe they were martyred during that seven years. That's the only way for them to be ushered into his kingdom. Um, but the point that he's making here is that, yeah, they eat, they, they drank, they were giving in marriage. Life has to go on. You know, don't, don't make the mistake that Paul made. Oh, don't get married. No, I want you guys... You get married once. <laughs> once, gang. And, 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 and you're to occupy. You need to go off to the universities. You need to get, we need Christian doctors. We need Christian attorneys, even though that's an oxymoron. We need, <laughs> we need politicians that are believers and 
and they're driven by convictions. We need that. We can't just say, okay, since we're living in the days of Noah and living in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, man, let's just go to a mountaintop and let's just have our Bibles and let's just read it and the Lord will come back. No, he wants us to occupy. He wants us to be a light in this dark world. But it doesn't alleviate or... I was talking to someone um, this morning and it's... And it was like, man, what our grandkids are going to have to endure if the Lord is to, to tarry and is coming back for his church. What, what's the next thing that is going to be shoved down our throats or in our faces? But no, we already get jobs and raise families. Um, but just to know this, though, that any day that could all be interrupted and be interrupted very quickly and suddenly. In fact, the Bible says that our salvation is nearer now than it when we first believed. You, did you realize you're closer to the rapture of the church and the second coming than any other generation before us? You know, you're so oh, Harry, I mean, it's, but just think about that. You know, there was two things that prophetically people need to keep their eyes on. If, if you're not a big prophecy buff thing and I won't say that I am, but there's two things that just keeps blowing my mind. Number one, 1948, when Israel became a nation. The rebirth of the, the Hebrew nation, 1948. It was a miracle that that took place. And the nuclear pro proliferation. We're able now to destroy mankind as it is known. Those two things alone. Not to speak of how all the different Nations are lining up for Armageddon. Not to not share all the other prophecies with you. Just those two alone should just, in your heart, stir an awareness that, behold, I can come quickly. I can come quickly. In fact, the Bible said, Revelation, last chapter, encourage one another with these words. Behold, I come quickly. Maranatha. And it's going to come just like it. See, here it is. Noah and Lot, they're living in a society where people were marrying People were watching cable TV, maybe not cable, but people were listening to radios, going to ball games. Everything was nice. It's a beautiful day. Hey, you know, what a glorious morning we're having today. And yet what he's saying to them, don't be duped by that. Because if you look beyond that, you can see nothing but evil and wickedness and violence, perversion. We don't, you know, we don't want to look at that. We just want to be comfortable in our own little home settings. We want to be comfortable in our church. We just want to love one another, which we should. We need to occupy. I get that. But if you can just for a moment, think of your grandparents and, and think of today. That blows my mind. I, I remember talking to my gram before she went home to be with the Lord. And I said, hey, gram, was... Um, was divorce an issue when you were young? She goes, oh, yeah. There were some who got divorced, but it wasn't the norm. And today, even in the church, evangelical church, divorce is up to 60%. I don't know how that, how that is. Well, if you know the Bible, you know that it's one and done. You get married, you stick with that mate until the Lord comes and receives us, right? But anyway, I sure got off track there, didn't I? Um, I think what, what in this text is what the Lord is trying to show us is we got to learn a, a lesson, not just from like Noah and Lot, but we need to learn a lesson from the unbelievers as well. That's why I had asked you to go back and read Genesis with me, you know, 
And, um, you know, here, here Noah has these three sons. He's building an ark. You know, can you imagine what it was like for him? People walking by his driveway. There's a 450-foot boat in his driveway. And by the way, this is before, you know, they didn't, it never rained. There was a canopy of moisture around the earth. That didn't happen until after the flood. And they're, hey, hey, no, what are you doing? I'm building a boat. What's a boat? It's something that floats. What, on air? No, water. What's water? You know. Imagine the criticism. Imagine the mockery. And yet he, he, and he kept, he was faithful. He kept preaching a, um, a righteousness and judgment was pending. Imagine that. Think about that time period where it tells us that their imaginations were totally and constantly bent on evil. If you read that text there in Genesis, that everything they were thinking about, it was just being bent and more geared towards evil and wickedness and perversion. There was so much perversion, not just between two physical humans, but also there was something with the occult and spiritual this weirdness, and I'm not going to go into all that, like the birth of giants and stuff, but man, there was some strange things going on around them. And it's just, you just, you think about it. You know, and he kept preaching, and he, he just, he, he, and he, and he knew that one day that the Lord's going to say that this was it. You, you think of our society today, and I, I don't know, I, you just think, you know, that once upon a time, I heard someone say this, and I thought, my goodness, I didn't think of it like this. There was a time, maybe it's my generation, and maybe even before me, but there was a time where you could sit your kid in front of a TV knowing that television was going to support your morals. And if you notice how it just started to disintegrate and how it attacked the family, how the dad is the moron now, right? Dad's always the moron in some of these sitcoms, you know? Dad doesn't know. And then you got mom who's a total airhead and the kids got it all together and they had figured out life. Though they don't work, they couldn't pay for their own car or their insurance, but they have. And, and that's, you, I, you know, I'm afraid they even let my grandchildren sit in front of cartoons today because of some of, some of the messages that it, it gives out. You know, I, so he says, people continue to live their lives though. Even with all the wickedness. He said it's going to be just like the days of Noah. He said it's just going to be like the days of Lot. And again, there was life. They ate, they drank, they bought. This is in verse 28. They planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone. From heaven destroyed them all. There was such a suddenness to this. Think about what was going on. And I, because I see kids in here, I'm not going to go into some of the things. But think about Sodom and Gomorrah and what was really being practiced there. And I think about today. We're not too far from the days of Noah. And we're not too far from the days of Sodom and Gomorrah today. And it tells us that it vexed Lot. That is something that, as Lot lived in Sodom and Gomorrah, what he saw there just vexed him. It tore at his heart. You see, but you know what? God is faithful, isn't he? God sent two angels. He went, they went to the square of the city. 
knocked on Lot's door. Said, Lot, get your wife, get your kids. We're leading you out. See, there's something about the Bible that you need to understand. God cannot, or he would be unrighteous or unjust. He cannot judge the righteous with the unrighteous. In fact, it tells us in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation or judgment, and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. You know, again, you just think how close we are. Could we see actually the second coming, or pardon me, the rapture of the church? Spoken there in First and Second Thessalonians. It's mentioned also being, being caught up, being metamorphosed in Corinthians. But could we see this even in our lifetime? Could we see this happen right before we finish church service? You know, I always joke around. I'll be, I'll be there before you. I'm about three feet off the ground already. But in the, as fast as the twinkling of an eye, a nanosecond, you will be changed into a glorious a glorious body. I, I'm sorry. I know you guys laugh at me, but I'm going to black flowing long hair. I'm going to be ripped, you know, no fake knees. Then I'll be raptured. The knee will just fall on the ground, you know. Listen, with the way that life is now with the threat of nuclear proliferation, you know, you think of Korea, you think of Iran. Now you think of you know, some of the threats out there. You know, it only takes one nut to push that button. Just one. And they start flying. And everybody's going to have to start pushing buttons. You know. I, I think it's a day that we should be le- living with our antennas up. Looking and warning. Just like Noah was doing. Don't settle in. Uh, it tells us that. This is something we should know. Second Timothy chapter 3. But know this. Please listen to this. Know this. That in the last days, perilous times will come. Now listen. For men will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Boasters. They'll be proud. Blasphemy. They're sla- they'll slander. Without self-control, brutal, despise, or unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, halty, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And he tells them, from such, turn away from these. Chapter 4, he says, I charge you, he's speaking to Timothy, Therefore, beloved of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the, and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching for the time will come where they will not endure sound teaching. And some people don't see that right away. When you just start to think some of the crazy stuff that's being taught in the church today, it, it's frightening. But for me, it's like, okay, Lord, these are the last days. There are going to be people who will walk around with a haltiness. There will be people who are, are going to teach that you're not going to come back. It's going to, that we need to love everybody. I love everybody. I don't accept everyone's lifestyle. But you're being taught we need to do that. We need to accept people, their sin and all. People today, guys, I think they walk around as if their head is in the sand and they just want to forget 
prophecy. They don't want to. In fact, I heard a minister one time saying, listen, what he, how do he say it? You know, if all you do is focus on prophecy, you're missing the broader side of God. What? The prophecy is the prophecy of Jesus. It is God. You can't separate the two. You can't just say we're going to just teach about a loving God and a, without having the whole thing that comes along with God. Amen, church? So this is the way we should live. Look what he says in verse 30. Even so, it will be in the days when the Son of Man is revealed, the, the revealed, the apocalypse, the revelation. As the scrolls are, as the heavens start to scroll back and the King of Kings starts to make his approach, man, every eye is going to see them. And you, listen, gang, there's not going to be any confusion. And you could just see this, man. You could see, you know, how he was trying to get their attention by using Noah and using Lot. Talking about, you know, fire and brimstone and the flood. And then in verse 32, and for, forgive me, folk guys, but I think at, right then as he's looking at his disciples, he just maybe he takes Peter by the, just has his, hand, his head and says, but Pete, remember Lot's wife. Maybe he looked at John, remember Lot's wife. Maybe he would do that today with us. Just one thing. It's only three words. Remember Lot's wife. And you know, guys, just to remember Lot's wife, that's not much, is it? I mean, what do you know about her? Do you know what she looked like? No. Um, do you know what nationality she was? No. Some theologians speculate she was from Er, the Chaldeans. Speculation doesn't say that. In fact, when you read Genesis... And it talks about Abraham and Sarai before she became Sarah. There's no mention of, there is mention of Lot and his, the nephew, but no wife. We don't know one thing about this gal. You know, the only thing we know about her is what she was encapsulated in. What she was encrusted in. That because she looked back, she was turned into a pillar of salt. And I've even heard, and in fact, a seminary in which I, I, I came from taught that it was just a folklore that really God didn't judge Mrs. Lot <laughs> because she longed back. But, but it isn't. It's historical fact. You, you know, you've got Josephus, one of the most reliable historians back in those days, who said that he personally saw the memories of Lot. She could still be seen in some crust of salt. Clement of Rome said in his writing, as he was making his discourse, said, oh yeah, we could still see Lot's wife, even her hands and her feet were still present. Some have speculated that Solomon and Gomorrah was on the southern end of the Dead Sea. That's because that was tradition. That's where people think that Solomon and Gomorrah was. But recently they've been digging around the northeast side of the Dead Sea. And what they're finding there is incredible. Google it. I did it all day yesterday. I was blown away of what they're finding northeast of the, sea of the Dead Sea. In fact, this one guy said, listen, you see these? These were where the buildings were standing. And you could literally see this pile. It, it looked like dirt, but it, it, but it formed a house. And it formed like a city. You could walk through the alleys. And he goes, but it is not sand. And he reached down and he took it. He goes, it's all ash. And he went like that. 
And it was just nothing but out. They, they're finding brimstone. They're, they're finding sulfur. They can still light on fire there in that area. Sodom and Gomorrah was not a folklore. This is a real gal who was turned into a pillar of salt. But why? Why was she? Three words in Luke 19, or Luke 17. Remember Lot's wife. In Genesis, it's five words. Let's see if I wrote it down. But it's five words, you can trust me. There, here it is. But his wife looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. The Hebrew says she looked back longingly behind him, and then was turned into a pillar of salt. See, what's happening is that these two angels, messengers of God, came into the city and they're saying, now that this is it, man, that, you know, you think that it's vexed your heart lot. Just imagine what it's doing to God's and God's going to judge this place. And, and just like it was in the days of Noah, that their imaginations was bent on evil. And so I'm here to take you out. And he has to literally grab them by the hand, the girls and all, and he's dragging them through that, that plain area, he, they wanted to take him to a mountain. And he says, no, let me go to Zor. And the angels permitted that. But as they're making their ascent to Zor, or Zoar, it tells us that all of a sudden, she starts to lag behind. And she's on the slopes. And she starts to turn back. Look back. Here, here's the message, please. And I so appreciate you guys just hanging in here with me. You know, the Bible tells us that our hearts are desperately wicked. Right? Who can even know it? Sometimes I think I don't even know my own heart. The heart will always make a convert of the mind. The mind never makes a convert of the heart. Remember Lot's wife. See, Lot's wife had all this in her head. She saw the angels. She heard her husband almost every night saying how it, it vexed his heart, the city. She that was there witnessing when, when the men of that city came in to have a sexual relationship with the two visitors. When he, they blinded those people. I mean, she saw the, the miraculous hand of God. She had it all up here. But the problem was down here. Some, someone said to me not too long ago, well, I'll just change the way I think. Nah, it's, it's the heart that has to change, not the way we think. My heart will always make a convert of my mind. It is that desperately wicked. And that's why I think when we see this, you know, with, with her, she's longing back for something that was in Sodom. Her mind said, no, the safest place would be, well, today with Christians. Hey, I have enough knowledge in my head. I know the verses about being caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And I know enough verses to know there's a difference between the second coming and the rapture. And I got my eschatology. But is it just up here? Or is it also here in our hearts? Where we're occupying, yes, we're living and occupying, and we're going about life, and we're honoring the Lord with our lives. But have, are you one of those Christians? Your head is in the sand, and you don't see the wickedness and the perversion, just like Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, my dear wife went to New York City during Gay Month, Gay Pride Month, and it just broke her heart. 
They see young and old and how their minds have been so twisted. And now even the church is saying, embrace them and love them. No, no, I'm sorry. We're to flee from that. Love them. Pray for them. But not to embrace that lifestyle. That's what Lot's wife did. She longed for something back there. She knew enough up here to stay with her husband. But her heart got the best of her. And she was judged. You know, I ask you guys to also read um, Revelations chapter 2 with me. Because I really think that's the answer to all this. The answer about the heart and the head. Listen, this isn't something new, guys. Don't think, well, that's a great message about remembering lots. We find this all through the Bible. Let me give you just a few examples. Let's think about Achan. How many of you guys have read the story of Achan in the book of Joshua, right? Remember that whole story? Achan traveled with the, the nation of Israel through the wilderness. Imagine what Achan saw, too, by the way. I mean, he was the one who probably saw the crossing of the Red Sea, how it just divided. He probably also saw that when they were thirsty, that Moses hit the rock, and out from the rock gushed enough water to quench the thirst of 2.5 million people, possibly. He saw the manna falling down, and they were being fed. He, he saw the pillar of fire at night. He saw the cloud by the day. He saw the mighty hand of God do so many things. And then he saw, before they went across into the promised land, he saw the Jordan River open wide so that the priest could bring the Ark of the Covenant across on dry land. He saw the towers of Jericho fall and the walls fall down. He saw victory after victory after victory. But his heart was messed up. His head was filled with knowledge about God, but his heart was so far because, you know what? His heart longed for a wedge of gold and a wedge of silver and Babylonian garment. And his heart got the best of him, and he was judged, and his family was judged. Think of King Saul. King Saul, he saw David kill the the giant. He knew all about that. He knew that he was appointed the next king of Israel. And yet Saul's heart longs for something that was not his. And that destroyed his life. Think about Demas in the New Testament where Paul the Apostle says, Demon has forsaken me. Why? Because he loves the present world more than he loves God. And it was Lot's wife who loved the present Sodom and Gomorrah and was judged. You listen. The one thing that I know about the enemy is he's so subtle, shrewd. He does not come in like a whirlwind, not all the time. He comes in and it begins, as Solomon said, about the fox going under and eating at the root. And he'll keep eating at the root, your foundation of that vine. And before you know it, you begin to shrivel up and you wonder, why am I not producing any fruit in my life? It's because the enemy's been working maybe one year, two years, three years. Maybe there's people here today have totally forgot that Jesus could come back any day. And we need to live like he's coming back any second. We need to live like he might come back 100 years ago from now and, and we'll marry and we'll go and get degrees and we'll be the best Christian and witness. We can do that. But in our hearts and in our minds, we try to connect those two things and we're saying, but behold, you come quickly. You with me, church? Be careful. Please be careful. Don't embrace everything that Christendom is throwing at us. Stay with your Bibles. 
get up into my, well, I don't feel like, well, listen, 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 where do I start? You know, Paul wrote, or Jesus wrote to that church in Ephesus, and he said, man, your church in Ephesus, great church. It's taking care of the widows, the poor, and all that, man. You don't tolerate false teaching. You don't tolerate this or that. But there's something I got against you. Really, what's that? You left your first love. The heart. They had it all, the churchianity stuff, the churchiology, whatever. They had it all up here. They looked like a number one class A church, mega church. And yet, the one who would walk in the midst of the, the, the golden lampstands, he's saying, if you don't repent, I'm going to remove your witness. That to me is so sobering. He tells them to remember when they where they've fallen from. You start to think back. Okay, man, there was a time when I really was in love with Jesus. There was a time, man, where it was just maybe Jesus, my Bible, and we would sit and just read it. We had this crazy coffee house in Woodbury, and we'd sit around playing bongos and guitars, and all. we had no idea what we were doing. But there's one thing that we could say. Our hearts were totally in love with him. We, we wanted to stay in love with him. So remember, what was it like when you first got saved? What was it like when you first opened your Bible and it started to really speak to your hearts, you know? And what was it like for the first time you handed somebody a track and they said, thank you, I'll read it. How our hearts just leap for joy. What was it like when you first led someone to the Lord? The excitement in our hearts about Jesus. See, the last days, the love of many are going to wax cold. There's going to be a famine for his word. Not a lack of it, a desire for it. And he says, just remember. He says, then repent. You've got to repent. Change your thought. Now deal with the mind. I know you love me. Now deal with your mind. And make sure your heart doesn't make a convert of your mind. And stay in love with me. And stay in love with the Bible. And then repeat. Go back and do your first things. Go back reading your Bible. Find those quiet places. Walk alone with the Lord. Cry out to the Lord. Laugh with the Lord. And that's the, that's, that's the cure all, I believe, for someone who is a lot like Lot's wife, where they have a divided, a divided heart, a divided walk with God. Minds going in one direction. Hearts going in another direction. Bring them together. And worship him. Amen. Hey let's stand together. Hey remember this. Okay just remember this. When you think of. David. Usually the first thing comes to your mind is. Bathsheba. You think of Samson. Second thing comes to mind is who? Delilah. You think of Lot's wife. And you just think of a divided life. Her head was full of God, but her heart longed for Sodom. Maybe during this last song that we sing, you can make it just that time where you pray and just ask the Lord, man, God, that's me. You know, I, how many of you guys find it frightening just to watch the news anymore? Well, good. I'm glad I'm not, I'm not the Lone Ranger. Watch the weather. And the patterns. Keep watching Iran. Keep your eyes on that nut in North Korea. He's crazy. Watch what's happening around us. 
Watch these weird things that are being shoved down the throats of everyone that we have to embrace it. Hey, it should be alarming. Attendance should go up and we should say one to another, it's all right, sister, brothers, Maranatha, he's coming for us. Amen? Amen? Let's worship.